0: Kim Newman of Empire Magazine called this film an acutely observed, beautifully performed, lovingly directed media morality tale that resonates far beyond its 1950s setting. New York Times critic Janet Maslin called it a rich, handsome, articulate film about a subject truly worth talking about. And letterboxed user, yeah boy, said maybe I'm a sucker for great screenplays with great dialogue and great flow and pacing, but I very much loved it. And my boy Martin, being a slimy corporate fuck, loved it. And was that a split second Ethan Hawkes cameo? Great movie. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of. Quiz Show R- re- 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 Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods. My name's Dan, and with me is my brother for real, John. How's it going, John? You you keep on saying brother for real. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but I mean, I don't know if someone's listening to this for the first time. You know, they... I don't think that
1: anybody's expecting for you to be using slang, though. Like, you know, referring to me as your brother in a, you know, a, a figurative sense.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Noted. I will, <laughs> I will put it in my notes. I appreciate the feedback. Thank you. I will refrain from that specification in the future. <laughs> it's all good, Dan. How are you? Oh, I'm well, John. Well, indeed. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I am just trying to figure out. I, you know, you know, just a little bit of behind the scenes. Uh, you know, I'm about to move into a new house, so I'm kind of trying to figure out, like, how am I going to set up my, like, recording area? Where am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? Where it's not going to be echoey? You know, all of those things. And, yeah, so uh, that's at the at the front of the mind. But I've been really enjoying uh, watching all these Robert Redford-centric classics uh recently i feel like yeah. i've gotten a little bit ahead of the game and also you know certain things have come up on other episodes that have encouraged me to watch other movies like snake eyes i think we brought up on maybe the last episode or the one before that
0: oh yeah because we were talking about uh yeah de palma and i had been watching yeah we're talking about de palma i'd been watching was... dress to kill oh, okay and we talked about, right, we were yeah. talking about some of, yeah, like a, just an appreciation of, of De Palma. So anyway, so, so Snake Eyes, yes.
1: Yeah, which I, I'm pretty sure I had seen before, but I, I I found it so enjoyable that Kevin Dunn is in it, yet Gary Sinise's character's name is Kevin Dunn. And I just, <laughs> I just love that. They didn't have to do that. They didn't no. have to either cast Kevin Dunn or keep...
0: Gary sees name as Kevin Dunn. What a funny thing. <laughs> it is uh yeah, it's it's funny. I think Snake Eyes is one of those movies that I have only I've never watched the whole thing. Oh, really? I feel like I've just seen it in bits and pieces. And it's I agree like it's so much fun, but I'm I'm always oh, that was a that was a good, you know, half hour of of snake eyes. And it, it, I think I've seen the first like maybe 30 to 40 minutes. I uh, Well, I mean the first shot is this, this long
1: shot. Well, seemingly long shot. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, that's fun. And I believe that the movie actually takes place in real time. It's like one of those, that was right. a, a hip thing to do. So it's, I, I don't know. It's fun. The, the ending, uh, not to give anything away, but like it, um, it's kind of funky the way that they do it, where it's just like, Ooh, you could have just ended there. And then it like <laughs> keeps on going even further. And it's like, but you could have
0: ended so long ago and it would have been fine. Like it's kind of uh, funny. You that know, way. that's kind of a, a, diploma trademark is being a, a just a bit extra, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, like, OK, remove the just a bit. But uh, and, and I don't remember if I mentioned it, but I uh, also just wanted to kind of shout out the documentary De Palma. Uh oh, never seen which, it, which was kind of like something that had triggered my interest in looking beyond, you know, my my notions of Brian De Palma uh which had previously been like okay you know a decent you know uh kind of hitchcock pastiche uh, uh uh-huh. you know filmmaker slash you know like he's got a good style you know because the untouchables is uh it, you know loaded with homage to to cinema uh you right. know but it it definitely has a different style than i think a lot of his his earlier films uh, which I think Snake Eyes goes back more to the De Palma style, and like like Raising Kane, I feel like was after he did Bonfire of the Vanities, which was just a disaster, and I I feel like he was like after that he was like fuck it, I'm not gonna try to win Oscars anymore. I'm just gonna make the shit I want to make, and like have John Lithgow do crazy shit, and that was and then that was Raising Kane.
1: And that was Raising Cain.
0: And Raising Cain's a great movie that perhaps someday we will talk about on this podcast. I'd love to. I've actually never
1: seen it, but I love John Lithgow.
0: Oh, all right. Yeah, definitely uh, on the to do list.
1: Yeah. Once we get through our stack of Redfords.
0: Yeah, seriously. And, And yeah, we're just, and I mean, we're not really doing a theme month. It is just, we are, we are just exploring the filmography of Robert Redford because here's how, here's how that went down
1: not? just to our, our, our dear, our dear listeners. Uh, we both just want us to watch a bunch of Robert Redford movies. <laughs> so <laughs> there we are. And, and you know, the one they were talking about today is not in, but directs. We've talked about uh, other you know when we did Lions for Lambs, he directed that one and and was also in it. Um, we we did Lions for Lambs simply because I wanted to do a month of vaguely March themed right movies. Yes, and it just kind of fit. And um, I enjoyed. Otherwise, doing Lions otherwise for I don't Lambs. think we would have ever done Lions for Lambs. But I yeah I it gave me an excuse to watch it and I enjoyed it. And Robert Redford was great in it, and I thought did a hell of a job directing
0: it as well. 'Cause I feel like Lions for Lambs, at least for me, and I feel like for a lot of people, it's probably one of those movies that you pass when you're like scrolling through the options and you see it streaming and you're like, huh. And well, then you just, just go like, past it.
1: It's like Robert Redford. Okay. Andrew Garfield. Interesting. Okay. Meryl Streep, Tom Cruise. And it's like you're about to press play, but then for some reason you just go, like, yeah, let's see what else
0: there is. I surely right.
1: would have heard more about
0: this if it was that right. good. Right, you're like, okay, all the, and I haven't heard. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but yes, he directed a Quiz Show and was not his first uh, directorial effort, previously directed, uh, among other things, uh, A River Runs Through It. Ordinary right. People, I think, think was his directorial debut which is one hell of a movie that he uh, won the Oscar for like uh, famously beat Martin Scorsese uh, you know for Raging Bull who he then cast in quiz show exactly well and he also casts uh, we talked about Barry Levinson director of the natural Also in Quiz Show, but in a, you know, also like both of them, Scorsese and Levinson have like, you know, decent supporting roles. They're not just little cameos. Right. Uh, So, so yes, uh, he, uh, so we're. Looking at the career of Robert Redford, he was, nom- was he nominated for Quiz Show? Yes, he was nominated for Quiz Show. It was nominated for Best Picture. I think he was nominated for a lot, but didn't win because that was the year of Far Scump versus Pulp Fiction. Oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. With Shawshank Redemption as the, like, you know, Dark Horse third party candidate and Four Weddings and a Funeral thrown in there for and giggles. Yeah, well, you know, uh,
1: when you're making a movie, sometimes you just don't know what well, other
0: colossal well, successes no, are going to
1: be on the cusp. Well, and also you know? it's like,
0: and that's also, I'm not saying that's, that's like, you know, the point of it. And uh, it, it's, it's such a well-made movie. It's a movie that I did not see in the theater, but saw on on VHS upon its upon its release, uh, and uh, you know I've just always enjoyed it. Uh, I'm intrigued by the. Well,
1: I I feel like I've always remembered you being a Torturo fan, and yeah. I think that like. You know, just having, like, known you at the time or, like, whenever you would have been talking about Quiz Show, I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, John Turturro's
0: in it. But the funny thing is, though, like, that John Turturro, as great as he is in this, and I was, after Barton Fink and Brain Donors, Yeah, I was definitely, you know, like, what else has this guy done? been in. Uh-huh. But John Turturro was not the like, you know, if anything, like Ray Fines who I you know, well this is saw also Schindler's the same year. Right. Wasn't this also the same year as the English Patient? No. English Patient came out two years after Quiz Show. Came out in ninety six. Oh yes. Okay. So uh but uh, like Ray Fines uh, you know like Schindler's list he was just incredible right in, in that and I I think this was the like the next thing he did after the follow that. up, yeah, yeah. You know so and and also I mean just the the subject matter the history of it the you know this was a real thing that happened
1: right and and you know I just want to address something else and and it's it's interesting because the last movie that we did is The Natural was The Natural was The Natural and um. You know that's a movie that was that came out in the '80s, came out uh, ten years before Quiz Show, and it's about baseball in the '30s. So it's interesting to me that we're doing, you know, these movies that kind of take place, <laughs> ex, you know, like it, they're they're period pieces, and it's kind of like going. Similar number of
0: years back in the past. It's interesting that we haven't done a river runs through it, which I think takes place in the twenties. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. I haven't seen a river runs
1: through it, but I, uh, I, I don't know if if it's you know just that. Rob, I, I. It was definitely popular to make movies about the fifties and and the thirties. I think that there are some decades where you know i don't you don't see as many movies like now being made about like the 80s or 90s in the same way i right. you see some every now and then but like it's not done the same way that like in the 80s and 90s they were making
0: movies about the 30s 40s and 50s though i would say in in our contemporary context a lot of these like i guess mini series uh that are you know streaming and you've got like the impeachment effects like all these like Ryan Murphy yeah uh you know impeachment and the OJ thing and all that like these are things that might have been movies but Sure.
1: Well but I, I kind of want to tack on to what I was saying and that you see a lot more movies being made I, I will just say, like, lately, if they're not, you know, present day or in the future, if it's going to be in the past, there's a lot of stuff that's, like, in the 70s. And I I feel like a lot of it has to do with, you know, making a movie that takes place in the 90s. People just didn't look as cool. I don't know. Like, things just didn't seem as cool in the 90s. Well. And so it's, like, it's I think it's harder to sell something where it's, you know, I think that... um I mean this was 2000 it, this took place in 2003 but a movie like Spotlight where it's just like this uh this era where people just kind of uh didn't really uh it wasn't a I don't lot know, of the fashions of the time were a little <laughs> like and eh, we can know. just ignore that and uh you know frosted tips and you know, well, yeah, well, it,
0: it's funny because you have like the early to mid 90s, you know, the where it's grunge and right. It, it's kind of like, what are you going to do? Remake reality bites and singles? Yeah. Uh yeah. You know, so you've got you've got that. And then there's like the I feel like the 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 death of Kurt Cobain kind of sent things spiraling and next thing you know, we've got Zoot Suits and Swing, you know, Revival. Like that's when I would want to, I would do a movie set in 1997 against the Swing Revival. Oh my God. (laughs) Of of like that year, like 1996, 1997, like throw a lot of mighty, mighty boss tones and like real big fish on the soundtrack. There you go.
1: Uh, Yeah, that was a weird thing that happened. But it's kind of funny because like, you know, the 90s were definitely an era where there was a bit of an identity crisis. And I think that you're right in the sense that like grunge has had like had its own special thing. And, you know, the death of Kurt Cobain kind of, you know, it put a bit of a, a punctuation on grunge where then those grunge acts turned more into just like alternative rock and then more mainstream rock. I'm thinking of bands like Pearl, Pearl Jam. Jam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um you know then of course you have, you know, Soundgarden, Audio Slave, all of that kind of stuff. And um some of the other bands just kind of disappeared a little bit, maybe went more into obscurity. I mean certainly, you know, you'll see, you know, like bands like Dinosaur Jr continued on right right stuff like but that but they were also uh, part or of evolved it. into a different type of like indie rock alt rock kind of a situation well
0: and like those bands were also i think more on on the margins than you know like like nirvana like dinosaur sure. jr stayed uh, and i think that was kind of like you know part of their that part of their thing and like you know flaming lips uh, another yeah. Another example, but uh, it's actually interesting, you know, one of the, in my, like, you know, creative time when I like to toy with screenplay ideas and never finish anything, but one of them is actually set in 1994, and it's kind of, and, and you talk about that identity crisis, and it is yeah. kind of about that because it's set in, in the fall of 1994, so... You know, in uh, in the wake of kind of because that, and there were the uh, there were other like deaths, other real tragic deaths in that era, like Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon and Lane Staley, uh, uh, from Allison Chains, so, um. It, it kind of, like you said, really punctuated that era. Yeah, but also... I wouldn't
1: say it put like a, a definitive punctuation. More of just like a semi cult not a semi. No, but it was, but, but it, you
0: know, but it was all like you know. And then the next, you know, the next thing, you know, Weezer's like the big thing, well, and
1: <laughs> right. So I think that what what I was really thinking about is how like and you know you you started to really say this where it's like you know grunge ends and it because of this you know very significant death and by the way i realize that we've gone way crazy off topic but We're i will we'll get back there we'll We're come coming back. back uh so you know it, the, this this very significant death really shakes things up and it's almost just like the the like the world of uh popular culture more specifically music is just kind of like well, oh, well, we had this idea that this was where things were going, but I guess not anymore. So, like, what do we do now? And it's like, I don't know, swing dance? Let's try that. Maybe, like, ska will get more popular. Um, well, you know it was like, the, there, yeah. yeah.
0: Was, I mean, it was like, you know, it, it was like Weezer, Offspring, Green Day. It's like, we have this, and then swing dancing. But... Anyway, John, you made so perfect parallel segue because you kind of have that sudden that end that kind of like wake-up call the the you know, cold slap of reality which yeah. is a lot like what happens in, in Quiz Show where the sure. the kind of the facade and it's very much about the facade of the 1950s and the and how the media was so instrumental in creating that facade, but also in it really understanding the manipulation of people.
1: Yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, it's no like, it's not hidden that the... Uh, the way that this story is told which this was a true story but the way that it's told makes it feel like it's more of like a cold war allegory uh you know if if there's to be some sort of more uh you know analytical spin to be put on um uh dick goodwin's memoir that this is you know based off of Mm -hmm. um uh, you know there's definitely a lot of that that's put into it and it certainly makes sense to do that uh, and, and using television, which at the time that this takes place, which is 1957, you know, television is still very new and it's a bit of the wild West, similarly to what we're seeing now with like the internet and the 24 hour news cycle and uh, the way that information comes, comes to us. And at that time with television, they're saying this game show the you know the questions have been sealed in a bank vault and you can say whatever you want it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it's true and uh, nobody's really been questioning them about this like really are they really sealed in a bank vault you know and then we see how things are really happening behind the scenes manipulating the viewers To sell Geritol.
0: (laughs) Of course. Uh, So, John, why don't why don't you jump into uh the synopsis before we uh before we go any further in in talking specifically about Quiz Show?
1: Sure. So by the way, uh Dan and I, I guess about an hour ago, uh texted and Dan was like, Do you want to record tonight? And I was like, sure, just need to write the synopsis. And this is all like me typing on my phone really super fast at you know just tried to like get all of my memory of this movie which you know I've seen so many movies since then but you know just on here so i feel like i i feel like i got it so let's see how this goes 21 is the hottest show on television but it's only 1957 so options are a little limited 21 is a game show hosted by Jack Barry and sponsored by Geritol in which two isolated contestants answer advanced general knowledge questions, wagering their points until one of them reaches 21. Jeopardy style, the winner moves on from week to week until they are dethroned. As the film begins, we meet the reigning champ, Herbie Stemple, a Jewish man from the outer boroughs of New York who is the talk of the town. The only problem is that ratings have plateaued and the network wants him to be replaced by a more handsome champion. They ask Herb to take a dive and in return they would put him on a panel show. Herb reluctantly agrees and takes the fall on a very easy question. This means that the new champion is the dashing Charles Van Doren, the son of famed poet Mark Van Doren and nephew to famed biographer Carl Van Doren. Charles, a bright scholar on his own, was then fed answers by the producers in order to keep his streak going and the ratings climbing. Meanwhile, a young attorney from the House Committee on Interstate and Foreign Commerce, named Dick Goodwin, picked up a thread about potential rigging on the show 21. This led him to several past contestants, including Herb Stemple. Herb admitted that he was also fed answers, and that every moment of the show was scripted down to the way that they dabbed their sweat. Herb became enraged when the network backed out of their agreement to put him on the panel show. He also claimed that there was an anti-Semitic discrimination afoot. Goodwin also became close with Charles Van Doren, who did his best to come across as unsuspicious as possible. Goodwin even joined Charles for his father's birthday celebration. This gave Goodwin a much better insight into Charles and his motive for having success outside of his family's enormous intellectual shadow. But then Goodwin gets a smoking gun from a past contestant, who mailed himself a sealed postmarked envelope containing the answers to the show that would tape two days after the marked date. Knowing that he's backed into a corner, and after confessing to his father, Van Doren deliberately loses the show. After the hearing sorry, at the hearing, Stemple fails to provide a reliable enough testimony, so Van Doren is subpoenaed and gives an honest testimony that ruins his careers in both television and academia. But this doesn't mean that the case against the network is won. The producers take the hit, saying that they acted on their own. And so uh, I'm just going to run down the cast list a little bit. You know, John Turturro is Herb Stemple. Uh, Rob Morrow from uh, Northern Exposure is uh, is Dick Goodwin, who's
0: so good. I thought that he was fantastic. He, he got a lot of flack for his performance, too. I think mostly the, the New England accent. But yeah, no, I think I Rob Morrow does good. a fine job. Does a fine job.
1: Yeah, I thought that he was totally good. And I was just like, why do we, why have I not seen more of him? I, I know he's been very active, but it's just like, man, like, can't believe we didn't see more of him. Uh, Ray Fiennes is Charles Van Doren, and he's amazing. Uh, we have uh, David Paymer as one of the producers. Paul Schofield is Mark Van Doren, who's so good.
0: Wonderful. I, he was Academy Award nominated for this.
1: Oh, good. He was fantastic. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Hank Azaria. Christopher McDonald is Jack Barry. Um, we have blah, 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 Mira Sorvino as, uh, as Sandra Goodwin. Uh-huh. Um, the, this is just a really, really fantastic cast. Uh, Martin Scorsese plays one of the like executive producers, I guess, but...
0: Um, Yes, yeah, he's yeah. a network. You got Griffin Dunn in there. So you yeah. got Scorsese and Dunn together again after uh, after hours. After hour, after after hours. Yeah. And, after and after Griffin hours Dunn is
1: Griffin Dunn is more like a cameo than yeah. any of the others.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's the ger- You got Timothy Busfield up in there. Yeah. I love it. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a really incredible cast. You have a very young
1: Callista Flockhart as uh one of Charles Van Doren's students. And uh, Ethan Ethan Hawke, speaking of reality bites. (laughs) Speaking of reality bites, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a really incredible cast. I feel like it must have taken some restraint for uh, Robert Redford to not appear in this himself because clearly there are many places where he could have gone. He could have been the head of NBC. He could have been the Martin Scorsese character. He could have been in so many different roles, but you know, I don't know if it was a choice
0: to not appear, but yeah, so I, good. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I kinda don't see him re- like <laughs> and, and I'm a I, I love Robert Redford, you know. I otherwise I wouldn't have agreed to watch like, I don't know, dozen of his movies uh <laughs> back to back. But yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no, I I think that you know if it if it was restraint then then good on him if it was just like you know awareness and recognition that his appearance in the movie might be distracting from the story or or might stand out. I mean, like yeah, yeah but you, you, you know really as can't... we
1: see as we saw in Lions for Lambs, you know he's very present in that one. But and he fits. He fits. He into fits. That. He fits yeah. into that
0: perfectly. Yeah, yeah. This I don't, I I don't see as much. Uh, but but anyway, it's it's great. Um, uh, it, like Ray Fiennes is is excellent. I love. Uh, it, it just it's a very it's a very slick feeling movie. Yeah, it moves. It's
1: really engaging. Uh, I think that it it exists in. 1957 in a way that is identifiable without feeling like you need more, you know, not having lived in 1957, uh, I feel like this all felt right to me. Um, Right. It wasn't like, you know, hitting you over the head with like 1957 type stuff. It was just like, this is the story. Here we are. Here's what's going on.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it wasn't all about yeah, like 50s, 50s. Let's yeah. have like the soundtrack and all the you know, all the songs that you need. Uh Yeah. Yeah, in fact, it uses the it uses like Mac the Knife uh, in a really yeah. I think it opens and closes with Mac the Knife because doesn't it? Isn't is Mac the Knife playing in the in the opening when he's he's looking at the car. Goodwin is uh oh I think you're right yeah and then it closes with that like kind of slow more like loungy version uh-huh. of mac the knife which is yeah uh, you know a really really interesting choice but the score is is excellent i mean it's it's great it's just a a really well made hollywood movie you know just like one of those like it's just an excellent example of a genre film about a you know true controversy in in history
1: yeah and i think that if you you know look at like as we've mentioned earlier like those early successes of ray fines schindler's list quiz show the english patient you know it's three extremely different roles and uh I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen The English Patient. I feel like my memory of Schindler's List is a little bit more f- fresh than English Patient. But, like, he plays them all so perfectly. He fits into them all so well. Because <laughs> he fits uh, into
0: the 1940s and and 50s so well. I think yeah, all three I, of those take take place with him.
1: Well, <laughs> that's true. He has, like, you know, especially in the 90s, he, he, you know, he had this very just, like, classic, you know, leading man look. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Schindler's List. I think that that's a different, uh, you know, type of type of
0: role there. But, well, no, you know, yeah, because he was also very convincing as a Nazi. Yes, absolutely.
1: But uh, and you know, it's incredible that he's really aged with his. You know, into the roles that he's been taking, whether it's in the in the 007 movies or of course the Harry Potter films.
0: Well you know w- he, Wes Anderson and the Cohen oh, brothers. Oh, My God, absolutely Grand I Grand Pimpasto, Budapest Hotel Hell yeah. Caesar. I mean, if you've listened to any episode of this podcast, you know how much we love him in Hail Caesar. I know. Well, hey, that
1: goes back to the uh the forties. So here we are. <laughs> there you go. You know, go. uh Lawrence Lorenz, big stands out here for for Lawrence Lorenz. <laughs> I would watch Merrily We Dance any day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I I mean, I feel like for me, my memory of Quisho, and this was maybe the third time I've seen it. I think that, like, I saw it somehow, maybe on, like, HBO or something early on, and then uh, I watched it at some point several years ago as an adult, because I was like, Oh yeah, I probably had no idea what I was watching at the time. And then, um, watching it just the other day. And I, uh, it's just, it's so enjoyable. I really love the, the, the vibe of it, the pacing of it all, um, the intrigue of this real scandal that went on. And, uh, you know, like we talk about a lot, you know, the, as, as one matures as a person and, and learns more about the world, you can rewatch movies and and see things in them through a different lens. And I feel like that was my experience this time. And maybe it's, you know, knowing more about the era and the Cold War. And I think that at the, you know, maybe like the time I had seen it before this, Certainly, I was knowledgeable about, um, you know, early television, and so I think that I watched it more, like, on a surface level then, and this time I watched it with a more analytical eye, and uh, it was a really enjoyable kind of, like, third viewing, where it's not like, okay, I've seen this movie, I know what to expect, uh, I'm just gonna kind of have it on in the background, but instead, it was, like, a full experience as if I was kind of seeing it for the first time. Um, Yeah. So that was fun for me. I don't know.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For me, uh, just to kind of add to what you were saying about the awareness of, of the era. uh, I, I, I mean, I've seen this movie. I owned the VHS, but I never had it on like, you know, DVD or, or Mm Blu-ray. So I think my viewings of it were, you know over the last 20 years maybe a little fewer and farther between but definitely since the last time i saw it i've just become much more educated about the 1950s just based on when uh when i, I cuz i teach at least two books uh that are set in the 1950s and you need the context of the 1950s to oh, yeah. really you know understand them. So I you know researched a lot. I read Dave David Halberstam's whole book The 50s which I read that like a while ago. Uh but knowing and then kind of recognizing how this fits in but also knowing about the era and um it, it helps you also recognize when you're watching a movie like this what is probably not getting into the movie. Oh like, yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much more that, you know, that happens behind the scenes, not just behind the scenes of 21, but yeah. there's just so much more involved to these decisions and big business and, you know... Geritol having a say over, you know, what's broadcast right. on uh, NBC and what it, what you have to do to be on the public airwaves and accountability and the way, like, you know, committees running Congress and things like that. So it it's, you know, you watch it and you know that like, okay, this is not meant to be the you know, blow by blow account of the entire, you know, invest investigation, I think, which was like three years. Yeah. So, uh,
1: yeah. And also just to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about the, the personalities and these are the things that might not have been so much that like true to life. And I'm thinking more about like Herb Stemple and like, I don't know how accurate it is that, you know, his in-laws, you know, gave them a lot of money and he wanted to be the provider for the family and not have to feel like he ever owed them anything. And, you know, I I thought that that was a really intriguing plot line, the motive for Herb to, you know, do all the things that he did and... uh, you get a lot of from herb based on his just the way that he kind of lives his life the way that he speaks to people the the i don't know he definitely comes across as somebody who is like but i am owed this i deserve this i i worked for this and um I'd be curious to learn a lot more about the real Herb Stemple to see what exactly he was, what he was like. I'm sure that there's some truth to the things that he would say and the way that he would speak, but like um, to learn more about his motives and he just want is somebody who wants to like be known and to like have this platform and, because you know he he made his name even if it was uh for i don't know you know I, I don't know under false pretenses as you know being a smarty pants and he was a smart guy and uh yeah oh. and and I, and I don't know and there's a lot more to it in the fact that like they made him uh lose on such an easy answer and i don't know if that was just to make it seem more justifiable that It was, um, you know, a rigged situation.
0: Well, John, uh, you know, because I'm a studious fact checker, I, of course, have Wikipedia open. And uh, a lot of what I had read and uh, granted, uh, my research on Herb Stemple did not extend beyond Wikipedia, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it seems like a lot of it is pretty accurate I think his in laws uh, were. I think his wife, you know, did come from a well off family. And that was like, it it was like three episodes in a row that he went up against Van Doren. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't just like. There were two
1: ties, I believe, before there was the win.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was. Who, who what motion picture won the academy award for nineteen fifty five marty yeah and it's just have you ever seen marty you know i i remember seeing it but i don't remember it it's so much it is like when he says i saw it three times uh-huh, it makes perfect sense the like herb Stempel was the guy, like the underdog because Marty is all about uh-huh. the underdog uh and it's
1: it, it is kind of funny how like the situation in real life is like, wow, like you couldn't write this better. <laughs>
0: I know it's because yeah. I was I that was one of the things I really wanted to know about. And I was like, OK, I need to at least like look into this somewhat like I can't do hours of research, but I need to look into this somewhat because it just seems like so well scripted. Yeah. But it, it looks at least according to Wikipedia uh seems to be pretty accurate. But, yeah, he was really smart. He went to. uh uh, went to Bronx High Bronx Science Bronx High School of Science a you know has an amazing reputation uh, was on their like uh, you know the quiz team uh-huh and like they were undefeated uh, he he did serve in the army um, looks like during uh, during World War II but not like right at the end of the war Okay. And uh, but he'd stayed in the army and uh, he went to counterintelligence school. Uh, really, yeah, yeah. So it's really like this is a really interesting guy who I, uh, I, and I think, and, and this kind of I'm, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but it, it seems like if it were not for like other factors, like this guy could have been, like, you know, had a, you know, pretty significant position. Like, he had the brains for it, but sounds like maybe there were a few other things that he had working against him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Quisho! I'm, I'm not sure, because, well, because, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, they, they reference him seeing a therapist mm-hmm. in the movie, which I... I I was looking for more about that, and I haven't oh, okay. really found any, anything more. Well, that's about
1: that's that. something that'd be kind of hard to verify. I'm sure that there's something somewhere. I mean, I guess you could always read Goodwin's book, and right? See what it yes, says in there.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I I I'd be I'd be interested to read it. I yeah. And yeah. and I will say, you know, uh,
1: the screenplay was um uh written by Paul Atan- Atanasio 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 uh, Atanasio Yeah, who was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Adaptive Screenplay for this and for Donnie Brasco uh the f- uh just a few years later and um oh, you're also right. from the Bronx. So yep. uh perhaps yeah. he has a particular interest in the uh <laughs> in the in the Herb Stemple yeah. character.
0: Paulie. Yeah, Paulie yeah. from Boston Road.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um also uh wrote Disclosure in 94. Uh wrote Sphere, Some of All Fears, uh The Good German. I remember when The Good or German this, came he, out. He, yeah. Yeah. Good German, which also is a uh 40s. Right. You know, it takes yeah,
0: place in the 40s, I liked you know? I I liked I remember liking that. I thought that was really uh, yeah. well done. So, uh, anyway, uh, and what's interesting so anyway. is, and, anyway, uh, what's interesting is you look at, uh, so, uh, Dick Goodwin died in 2018. Mm-hmm. Charles Van Doren died like the same, like a month, like within a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Of Goodwin. Yeah. Wait, cause Goodwin died May 20th, 20, 2018. And then Van Doren died uh, April 9th, twenty nineteen. Sorry, so almost a year later. And then Stemple passed away in uh, uh, on April seventh, twenty twenty. Wow! So almost a year to the day after Van Doren.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Huh. Okay. I know. It's just, it's, it's just these things that are just really, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of neither here nor there, but very yeah. interesting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, pour one out.
1: Pour yeah. three out. <laughs> without, uh, you know, without those guys, we wouldn't have uh, the movie quiz show. So, there no, we wouldn't.
0: We wouldn't have that. And uh you know, Richard Goodwin was also uh married to uh Doris Kearns Goodwin, the uh author and historian uh who who I met once. Uh oh really. Went to go hear her speak with uh, our father. Went down to uh to Rutgers to hear Doris Kearns Goodwin speak and he really wanted to uh to meet her afterwards. All right. So cool. Uh, so yeah. So, um, and I didn't realize then that that was where the good one came from. Oh, it's funny.
1: Um, yeah, well, you know, Dan, it's, uh, it's always a joy to revisit this movie and I hope to watch it again in like 10 years and maybe see it through a different lens and, uh, experience it differently. Maybe by Um, then
0: you will have been a contestant on a quiz show. And you'll have well, some, Dan some insight. Oh, you know that I was. Oh wait, yes. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell the Starfighters okay. about your quiz show experience. Okay, so <laughs> the year
1: is two thousand seven. Uh, I had just moved to Los Angeles from Philadelphia. And I uh, did not have a job. I was trying very actively to find work. This was a time when it was still reasonable to go on Craigslist to try to find job listings. So I would go on Craigslist, amongst other places, and I would apply to any job that felt like it was something that, you know, would interest me. My my of, my goal, of course, was to uh, be in the entertainment industry and, you know, specifically, Television, I was hoping for, uh, you know, narrative television. Instead, I ended up in, you know, nonfiction television or in uh, feature films. However, I um, had a hard time finding work for a while and I was going through Craigslist and I just thought, what can get me money? And I saw something looking for contestants for the pilot episode of a game show. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to earn it, I may as well try and win it. And so I submitted whatever they wanted me to submit. All I knew is that it was for the G4 network, which I don't believe exists anymore. But for anybody who isn't familiar with the G4 network, it was it was geared towards geeks. You know, it was like very, very video gamers, but it was also very just like pop culturey. And, you know, it was just kind of like general geek dork stuff and so I was like great perfect I wear glasses that you know why not and so I um I sent in all my stuff or whatever and then I got a call or email or something from them saying like oh we'd love to have you come in and audition and I was like okay and nowhere ever did it say what this game show was and so I uh was just like, sounds good. And then I go in to this like studio in Burbank and I was just like, so what is the show? And they said, it's a pop culture trivia show. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and so they put me on camera and they asked me a series of like pop culture questions, which I nailed i you know it was just like i i'm pretty sure that i got all of them um and they called me back for another audition to do it again and i was like okay and then they were just like well we'd actually we'd love to have you on the pilot episode of this show and i just said like oh fantastic they um I was definitely going to be paid for like my time there. So at least there was that. And um, I show up the day of the taping and there's just like a room full of people in their like 20s or whatever. And I was a little confused and somebody from the network said like, or the production company came in and said like, so I... We actually need to do one more round of auditions for the like executives at G4 who are here. This is all in person. You're just going to get into these lines and then you just kind of come up one by one and say this and answer a question or two and blah, blah, blah. blah. And so I go through all of that and they say, we're going to select uh, three people. Uh, and then those are going to be people in the first round. And if there's time, we're we're going to uh, bring out these three people um, to to do another episode. And so I was in the first group, and it was me, another guy named John, which I felt like was a weird decision on their end, <laughs> but they liked this guy for whatever reason. And then there was this girl who I don't even remember like being part of anything else, but it was like attractive girl so it's kind of like oh okay so you're gonna have two people that the audience looks like and then one person that the audience probably just wants to look at and i'm just saying what is probably going on and so uh that's when we find out what this show actually is and so Myself and the two other contestants are competing against each other in a game of pop culture trivia, but we're also competing against a three-year-old chimp named Willie, and the show was called Beat the Monkey, and it never actually went to air uh, this was taped during the 2007 writers strike where they were just like, what can we do where we don't need writers? It was hosted by J Keith Van Stratton, who also hosted beat the geeks on VH1. Uh, I did an episode of my podcast, uh, Hey Teens, um, where Jay Keith Van Stratton came on and we talked about it a bunch. It was really fun. And, um, yeah, so I may as well just tell the whole story because we're because we're here talking about quiz show. So uh, that's also when I found out that uh, in in my efforts to get money, I would not be earning dollar points in this competition. The points were all bananas. And so, Dan, have I told you all this before? Oh yes, yes.
0: Okay, okay. Definitely. I'm. I'm just. I'm it's probably been a while i'm yeah but no but i i remember as soon as you mentioned it i remember (laughs) pretty much all of this
1: so uh okay so the first round goes and i am by far in the lead the other john gets asked to Take his bananas and get the hell out of there. They <laughs> hand him a tray of bananas. He walks out. Uh, and by the way, it's being it's multiple choice answers. And we either hold up a card that says A, B, or C, and the chimp hits a button that's A, B, or C.
0: Now, wait, were the questions locked in a vault? Prior not to, to my this. knowledge.
1: I'm pretty sure that uh they were just scribbled on a on a note card.
0: John, did, were you given the answers beforehand? I was did you need the money s- that badly?
1: I was most certainly not given the answers and I even got a question wrong that was a total marty situation oh, where no. I'm like <laughs> I, it was I, I don't remember exactly what the question was. I think it might have had to do with the, the like the Triple X movie, the like the Triple X State of the Union, like the sequel to that movie and uh I had mixed up ice tea and ice cube and it was just oh, like uh oh yeah it cube really, was
0: triple x in that one
1: yeah it was really um upsetting for me i don't know but even, even that being said you teed um, when you should have cubed that said that said though i went on to the next round and then um i was still in the lead and the 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 woman next to me was uh you know theoretically supposed to just be handed her bananas and asked to leave but instead she had a chance to win back her bananas with a basketball free throw competition in which she and i threw you know like uh foul shots and willie did slam dunks and i uh, ah. Of course, try as she might. I she did not get enough bananas to catch up to me. And so it was,, uh, it was just me and the chimp um, head to head. And then Dan, here is where it gets very quiz show because I uh, Willie and I essentially took turns answering the same questions, but I went first and Willie was in an isolation booth with headphones on so that he couldn't hear me or, like, anything... Like like he would know anything that was going on. <laughs> but it was all pageantry, which is kind of amazing. Did they and coach so, the monkey?
0: Did they coach Willie on how to mop his brow?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, and then the, the result of that is that... Um, And at this point, it's like I had my 75 banana points. Those are all there. And it's just a matter of, like, who can answer as many of these questions within, like, one minute correctly, you know, answers more of them. And uh, Willie beat me by one. And so Willie won a trip for two to Palm Springs. And I walked out of there with 75 bananas. (laughs) <laughs> so I uh, as i was leaving i was like so uh let me get some let me get those bananas and they're just like do you really want them and i was like i yeah <laughs> why not I uh, i'm pretty sure i didn't them. take they're i'm pretty mine. sure that i didn't take all 75 but i definitely took a bunch of bananas and I, i'd have to ask my my roommate at the time uh if he remembers anything about me coming home with all those bananas, because <laughs> we definitely both ate a lot of bananas for the next few days. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my quiche experience, but it got shelved. Um, you know, once the writer's strike ended, they just continued doing what they were doing. And uh, during the course of time when I was uh, working in television, a, a number of editors that I had worked with who had worked on G4 shows, I asked them like, Do you remember hearing about anything called Beat the Monkey going on around 2007? And some of them were just like, I do remember like editors working on that, but I have no idea. Like I didn't see it. I just remembered hearing that people were working on that. And so uh, there's a a shelf somewhere in a storage unit with this on it. It's in the it's in the vault from Raiders Raiders of the Lost right. Ark. Right?
0: Y- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it didn't air because the writers' strike ended. Not because it was called Beat the Monkey. Uh, no. The, Dan, the set was like decked out.
1: Like it was all beat the monkeyed up. It was great. Um, it was uh, it was a full on like they call game shows shiny floor shows. Like uh-huh. this was a very legit setup it was amazing uh, so the shiny yeah.
0: floor that is, is slippery plus you've got the banana peels and oh
1: forget it it's just you know wow but I uh, i remembered when what we story when we initially walked out to our like podiums or whatever we were instructed like you are not allowed to talk to the other contestants and the way that it was set up was like the other guy named john the woman me and then Willie, who was, like, a little bit further away and had, like, his trainer, like, underneath his little podium and stuff. And so I just remember turning to the girl next to me and just saying, I love him so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For a second, there, I thought you were going to do, like, you know, pull a, a, a W at the Trump inauguration and be like, this is some weird shit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, seriously, well...
1: Yeah, it it essentially... Uh, We were all thinking it. We were all thinking it. But yeah, uh, I don't know
0: what what is more surreal, but yeah.
1: But, you know, and and I will say this for anybody uh, who has seen the movie Nope, Uh, all I'll say is that uh, Willie was three, and once they get a little bit older, that's when they have to... They can no longer be on sets, and he needed to take breaks where he would go into a trailer with like his older brother and be a chimp. Oh. And not rip our faces off.
0: <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So you just go into the trailer, like, you know, fight, piss, throw shit around.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they did, but. And then uh, they it,
0: it, It's like working with Dustin Hoffman in the early 80s.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they gave him some blow. Just let him do his thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was
0: that. Dan, have you ever been on a game show? <laughs> I have never been on a game show. I, you know, man, I would have loved to have been on, I would have loved to have been on Beak the Geeks, first of all. I have a fond memory of that show. And well, I mean, the I Star Trek it. geek was uh, Gabriel. It was Gabriel. Gabriel from Trekkies, I know. Yeah. Uh, I remember the music geek. I really enjoyed the music geek uh-huh. on that. And... Um, and I. I think I did like took the online test for Jeopardy. I was wondering if you ever did that. I would, yeah. I mean, Jeopardy's something that that I could, uh, you know, the thrill's kind of gone now. You know, now that Alex is gone, I yeah, like yeah. I yeah, but
1: you know, I maybe mean, someday. It's, you know what, Dan? It's still Jeopardy.
0: No, I know, I know. Yeah, it it is still Jeopardy, and I, you know, uh, someday who knows maybe who knows but no never never been on a game show so um there you have it yeah you know hey bucket list there you go well
1: Dan let's talk just a little bit more about quiz show I know that we don't typically do uh like true stories so much uh but it makes it right. more challenging to talk about doing a sequel or anything like that but I don't know what 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 would you do given the chance to do something new with with the quiz show verse.
0: Oh, um well e- easy I would uh you know do something about Beat the Monkey. Of course. <laughs> do a quiz show style, you know, like in the spirit of quiz show, you know, Beat the Monkey. <laughs> I don't know what what else you would uh I don't know what working with Willy. Uh no. Uh so what would I do with the So as I alluded to before, there's so much more than fits into this uh you know sleek 2-hour and like 15-minute movie. There's so much more to the story, there's so much more to the people. I mean uh you know Jack Barry, the the host of uh yeah. 21 played by Christopher McDonald. Uh you know like what happened to him? Like how yeah. did this ruin his career? did this like what happened to him after that, after this, what, what was his experience while all this was going on? What did yeah. he know? What did he not know? uh You know what? Like there's so much more behind the scenes to this that I would want. I, I think, I think like a, like a series, like a limited series would really do it just, oh, I know yeah. that there was a, there was a documentary prior to this, mm. uh, prior to quiz show coming out that it, it like, this uh, basic, like inspired the movie, uh, the documentary, uh, in addition to, uh, Goodwin's book. But I, uh, I would, lo- like, let's see, dramatization, but, like, what's more, like, what about Charles Van Doren? I feel like there's the slightest hint in this movie that Charles Van Doren was gay. And huh. I don't, because they kind of show him, like, once he's famous and he's, like, this, you know, NBC-sponsored celebrity and he's out on the town with all these women... But he doesn't seem to have any, uh, you know, like relationships. I mean, he was he he was married. Uh, I do like how there wasn't any,
1: you know, romantics, you know, romantic subplot. And I suppose that it'd be hard to do that if there wasn't something like that in real life. And I know that you can still fudge things a little bit, but like. He know. got married in
0: 1957. Oh, yeah. So, like, so there was something. Th- right. There's more. Yeah. There's another. There's another life there. There's his family. We know that his father and mother were both renowned poets, and father, sure. was a professor, yeah. Columbia University. And, um, what's, what's funny is if you look at pictures of the actual Charles Van Doren, uh, he, uh, he actually looks more like Paul Schofield than Mark Van Doren. <laughs> uh, no, he looks a lot li- like, like the, it is, it's, it's kind of scary. I'm looking at this picture funny. of him right now and, I, Oh, I, Paul it, Schofield was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's so much more like Herb Stemple. So like, if if Herb Stempel was because they they kind of talk about him as this uncredible uh, witness who yeah. you know tends to exaggerate and that like you know NBC was paying for him to to uh, you know be in therapy and what was he having like like in the in quiz show I think they talk about him having like five sessions a week uh, right at some point so I'm like I want to know more about Herb Stemple. like the character is. I don't want to go as far as to say two dimen like one, sorry, one dimensional in, in this, but yeah, th- there's more, there's, he's kind of a sorry series, you know, kind of a stereotype and yeah, uh, you know, Tertura T- does great with him. And you look, you look at the pictures of, of Herb Stemple and it, it's pretty close. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I want to know more like what was going on. Like you said, like, did he really want to, was he really desperate for this money so that he could support his own family? Uh, you know, what was going, you know, what was going on with him? Um, You know, what about someone like Dan, like who gets the idea for something like this? Right. And how do they like, at what point do they say like, you know, okay, well, we're on the public airwaves and we are committing a fraud but it's also it's entertainment. It's entertainment. People yeah. are tuning in for and it reminds me. Of, it brings me back to pro wrestling because yeah. it's like the point isn't whether or not it's actual competition. Yeah. Who's
1: being hurt here? By right. you know. Exactly, like people tune in because
0: right they want the drama, and sometimes drama comes from having like you know someone who you're like oh wow is this the week they're going to lose and how long can they keep the streak going like Ken Jennings on Jeopardy, and among others there was the more recent example and I forget her name. Who was the more recent, like, I think I remember who you're talking about, but I don't know streak, long wind streak on Jeopardy like last year. It's like Kate something.
1: For some Uh, reason, that name is jumping out of me. Yeah. Anyway, I I apologize. um, But yeah, you know, I, I agree. You know, there's certainly.
0: What's that? I'm like, let's take this story. Let's, 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 let's stretch it out. Let's get more into the, like, you know, uh, Dick Goodwin, what made this guy tick? What was his, like, you know, was he really really smoking the cigar and all that? Like, what was, what, what was his deal? Yeah. And I mean, like, fucking HBO that shit up. Like, let's, let's do it.
1: You mean get Bobby Cannavale in there?
0: Get Bobby Cannavale? Yeah, (laughs) no, no. He's over at Netflix. Uh, Nope, he Uh, crossed the street. (laughs) He's Netflixing now. He's out of the HBO stable.
1: I, I... I I only say that because Dan no. and I had a text th- text exchange earlier about Bonnie, Bobby Ganavale and Dan referenced how he was the
0: HBO's golden boy. Well, because he was on, he was in that, uh, it was he like the Vinyl. Sh- Vinyl, that was the show I was thinking yeah. of. And then he was on, was he on Boardwalk Empire? Probably. Probably. So yeah. uh, anyway, and, and then I watched a couple of episodes of The Watcher on Netflix, which also mm. has HBO favorite Jennifer Coolidge.
1: <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. Uh, Can't anyway. wait for the White Lotus season two.
0: Um, yeah,
1: no, I, I think that doing a series would be really smart. Um, a really great way to, you know, tell the story in a more complete way. Um, if you were craving more, <laughs> you know, I think that the the movie itself does as much as it possibly can do with the time it's given.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it also, like, if I can, if I can add, it, it also like it ties in. I think thematically you could connect. I think it it actually connects better now because now.
1: Dan is coughing.
0: We, I think the American public knows a lot more about how like big business and media collude to. You know, present something to the American people and whether it's to manipulate the American people, entertain the American people. But I I think that we are much more aware of that connection and seeing how far back that goes. I think that 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 could be really something really interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I'm sorry. that I wanted to throw that in there. But yeah, what's uh, what's your plan? Oh, my plan. Well,
1: you know, watching Quiz Show, of course, makes me think of, you know, the... And you can let me know if there's other ones that I just don't know about or I'm just not thinking about, but it makes me think of other movies like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, in which there is a, you know, a conspiracy going on behind the scenes of a extremely popular game show. Uh and, I, I'm, you know, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is an adaptation from Chuck Barris's memoir in which he uh, claims that he was a CIA operative and they used the dating game as a way for him <laughs> to uh, carry out his missions abroad. And it's a really fascinating claim because, like, of course, the the CIA is going to deny it. And then it's like, is this guy for real? Uh, Well, you know what else it reminds me of? What's that? Ishtar. Ishtar, exactly, yeah. Well, I mean, Confessions of a
0: Dangerous Mind mind is much closer to uh, quiz show also because... It's, it's it's based it's the, in reality.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the center of the Venn diagram of those two movies, the uh, <laughs> yes. quiz show and Ishtar. Sorry, I was
0: trying to remember the the oh god, that song that I love so much from Ishtar. Uh, uh. serious business. Yes. <laughs> yes. Dangerous business. Dangerous Danger- business. Oh yes. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. No, I can't. So so
1: you're thinking of um, so oh no no no. So okay, I'm thinking about this one, and I I'm sure there are a lot of other game shows that have some sort of like mysterious behind the scenes goings on like uh i i mean of course there was like the uh the the press your luck you know the person who like figured out the sequence and all that kind of stuff i don't know if there's a movie there but like i i'm curious to know what else there is about game shows that uh could really fall into the same like series of just like, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Well, and, and this is behind I, the scenes. I, I wonder. Deaf,
0: right? I, I mean, you know, just it makes me think of uh, Ray Combs, the one of the family, a Family Feud host who oh, committed mm-hmm. suicide. Right. Yeah. what was going on there i also think um there's a potential story with uh mark summers mhm and i mean i actually i i i actually come to th- come to think of it i wonder how much story there is around some of those like nickelodeon shows um like like double dare uh especially as you know we kind of learn more about uh you know how things worked behind the scenes of of shows like that and we know you know Mark Mark Summers was a uh, uh, was it OCD like yeah yeah um and i i think that that could be like a potentially helpful story i think that's more kind of like biopic oh, than behind yeah. the scenes yeah uh, you
1: know and and i and i did work with uh, Mark Summers and Harvey uh so Lovely, lovely gentlemen. Really yeah. nice guys. Well, no, yeah, uh, I mean,
0: yeah, Mark, Mark Summers. I mean, if, you know, the more you know about him, the more you, you know he really can be, you know, an inspiring. Oh, person. absolutely, but yeah, but yeah. I wonder, I, I wonder what other shows and like also in what eras. Like, oh god, what about like Hollywood Squares? Like, 80s, oh, Hollywood Squares Jim says- J. Bullock, Hollywood Squares. Yeah. Like, what was There's, going on behind the scenes? Like, yeah, I want to and hear
1: about that. right. So, I think that, yeah, Hollywood Squares would be a really fascinating one to, um, who would play Joan you know, Rivers? I say Sherry or Terry.
0: Sher- <laughs> Uh,
1: actually, you know what? There's a, um, a really fantastic, uh, I, I don't know if she's considered a comedian or actress. She actually hosted Dan. Do you? Uh, did you ever do that, like, app game show thing, HQ? It was, like, at 6 o'clock every day, there's a live host. Scott actually knows one of the hosts. Our brother Scott is, like, friends with one of the old hosts of that. But, like, you could actually win money if you, you know, answered, you know, if you were a winner or something and uh it was all done on an app and uh one of the hosts anna roisman uh does a really fantastic joan rivers impression i uh i i don't care for impressions so much but the way that she does them on tiktok i enjoy quite a quite a great deal uh. but uh, yeah if we're talking joan rivers fantastic i'm just to does a great hilaria baldwin <laughs>
0: I, I would have no idea. I have no idea what she sounds like, looks like anything. Um, but I just, yeah, the idea of of just the, the 1980s incarnation of, of Hollywood Squares fascinates me. I don't know what, like, do you have a game show that you're like, oh, man, I really, I would love to find out if there's some, like, you know, crazy shit going on behind the scenes of, like, this show.
1: Well, I think that what's really fascinating. Well, okay, so like Pyramid, I think is, is a great one where I th- and I'm thinking about sh- like game shows that would make really fantastic sets for mov like set pieces for movies. And right. I feel like Pyramid is one of those. Hollywood Squares is a great one. You know, I think that it's just like they have these iconic sets, and because they include celebrity culture with you know average Joes essentially, um, I think that that's a really fascinating. Uh, area to touch upon um, also as we talked about uh, at the beginning of this show you know people in the 70s dressed cooler like yes you you know it makes so much more sense to like do something in you know maybe like the later 70s um as opposed to like i don't know well although okay i will say though doing a double dare show is a really fun way to uh, okay That would be a fun movie set. (laughs) I take that – it would be a fun movie set. I take it back because I feel like any time that the 90s is portrayed – and I don't know if it's, like, high-definition cameras just, like, make the spirals and weird, like, squiggly lines pop in a different way, (laughs) but – the fashions of the 90s, maybe it's teal, comes across differently <laughs> in 1920 by 1080. But uh, it, it always comes across being like cartoonish and and just silly. If you're trying to do something serious, it just takes the wind out of the sails. Whereas the 70s, there's a lot more beige and brown going on that, you know.
0: <laughs> the 70s are very cinematic. So sin- very the rust
1: se- colors, your mustards.
0: Oh, it's so great. 70s really look great on screen.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without um, a doubt. I- I'd love to see something. Much like the 50s. Uh, yeah. I-, I mean, I'd love to see something. Um, I- uh, when did Hollywood Squares start? Probably late well, 70s, think, early 80s. I think
0: there was Hollywood Squares... In, oh was it even further back in like the 60s because who was it like paul lynn used to be paul lynn on Hollywood was squares.
1: center square i think big time
0: well, like, so I, uh, yeah i guess then yeah it was. Like then, i think that
1: between between that and pyramid um i think that 66
0: to 80 okay was the first i think like kind of the first run of it i yeah. remember watching it I want to say like late it like yeah it says 86 to 89 when it was hosted by John Davidson. Okay. Who I who well, I've only ever seen in that and infomercials.
1: Yeah. I pretty sure Louie Anderson Luce, Louis An- uh, showed up frequently there before um, being host of Family Feud in the 90s. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um uh so oh let me see who else. I th- I think um Sandy Duncan, oh, Weird Al, I, I came oh, on, yeah. was on a bit. Yeah, Charo was Charo. on there. Um, Pee Wee uh, Herman, maybe.
1: When I think of Charo, I think of Pee Wee Herman because they used to do right. The, she would appear on uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like his specials. It's like, yeah, and
0: it's just like, what nine year old cares about Charo? <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> oh, and you remember who the who the announcer was for Hollywood Squares in the eighties? Who? Shadow Stevens. Shadow Stevens. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh. So yeah. So Shadow Stevens. Uh. So Joan Rivers was like the permanent center square. Yeah. Uh. Jim J. Bullock was in there. I think like Howard Stern was on briefly. What? <laughs> Weird. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to remember. Like, there were a lot of celebrities who I only Michael Dudikoff from the American Ninja movies. I remember was was on there a lot. Um, oh man, who it's driving me crazy. Like, I'm gonna be thinking about this like the rest of the night. So, what's
1: interesting about Hollywood Squares? I know that we are just like totally. Just talking about Hollywood Squares right now, but uh, I'd love to know about the the writing on that show because certainly a lot of these Joan Rivers might be coming up with some of these one-liner answers off the cuff, but like, uh, and Weird Al, but like, I'm sure that uh, Dudikoff isn't you know coming up with quippy responses and stuff like that, so. I'd be curious to know about the writing process for some of the uh, the remarks on Hollywood Squares.
0: Wait, hold on. There was an e true Hollywood story about Hollywood Squares, which makes me think there's something to this. Ooh. Okay. All right. All right.
1: We'll be looking for that one on YouTube later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that would be uh, something that would game shows are so fascinating. You know, I
1: I I feel like. I I know that there's definitely a an audience for them currently. Um there's there's so many that are out there that of course there's an audience. Uh I don't remember I you know, I watched some Vintage Supermarket Sweep recently, which I know came back with Leslie Jones as the uh as the host. Um and then I I watched a little bit of Celebrity Family Feud because that's fun. It's Steve Harvey's delightful on that show. So, yeah, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's there's there's a whole world of game shows out there where I'm sure that there's uh, ripe stories to be mined. And um, I don't know. If you know of any, please email us uh, ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail dot com hit us up on our social media channels at ruined childhoods uh, pod on Instagram. I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. At
0: ruined childhoods Uh, pod. I Uh, just go to
1: our link tree. It's in the episodes description.
0: Yeah. And in the bio, in our Instagram bio and our link tree also we'll send, can send you to our T public store where you can get uh, wonderful things. Wonderful things. You can get wonderful things. You can get yours and the holidays are coming. So, uh, get believe- a bunch of get a bunch of
1: mugs for trick or treaters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They love mugs. They actually love- can get,
1: you can get stickers for the trick or treaters.
0: Yeah, or hey, maybe you're a trick or cheater, Get yourself a tote bag. Get They're yourself a treat. big. You could fit a lot of candy, even like full size candy bars. You could fit in your in your bag.
1: Yeah, hey, go to the rich neighborhoods. Get or hey, king-size. maybe
0: you're gonna dress up as Bob Wiley for Halloween. You can get yourself a "Don't hassle me, I'm local" T-shirt. I'm vaccinated. Oh, don't, don't hassle me. I'm vaccinated. Right. (laughs) Like, don't vaccinate me. I'm local. What? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, Dan, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Do you want to tell people what we're going to be doing on our next episode?
0: Yeah. Well, our next episode should be a lot of fun because we're talking about 1967's Barefoot in the Park. Uh, adapted. I'm excited to talk about it, Dan. Adapted from Neil Simon's play and. Starring Robert Redford and Jane, Jane Fonda, ah,
1: uh, and one of their uh, one of their many on-screen collaborations, um, such a delight, and we'll talk about it on the next episode. But uh, Dan, as you're heading out to um, somewhere in New Jersey, I forget exactly where the uh, where Mark Van Doren lives, but I wish you a good journey there. <laughs> good journey. <laughs>